ladies and gentlemen, it is baseball Hall of Fame season. It's football Hall of Fame season. It's Hall of Fame season. And as such, we have put together, well, I'd call this a blue ribbon panel, but it was the best I could get, <laughs> of a group of people who just love talking about the Hall of Fame. And we're looking at the baseball Hall of Fame. Unlike the football Hall of Fame that we do, uh, we're not acting as if we're going to be electing anybody. We're just shooting the shit. We're just going to talk about some of the people who have made it this far, how they're doing, and will they make it any further? Uh, with that being said, gentlemen, do we want to introduce ourselves? I'll, I'll just start. Kirk Buckner, owner, operator, sober today, sort of, uh, of notinhalloffame.com. Also, the Fictitious Athlete Hall of Fame. Check that out. Fictitious Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Check that out. The United States Athletic Hall of Fame. Check that out. Shameless plugs. I got to do it. Won't promote my book today, but I thought I'd sort of, well, we'll just sort of like go from there. Who do I have with me? Vinny, one of my regular contributors. How you doing, brother? Doing good. A month since graduation, and hopefully the hopefully um, the the PR man from the New Zealand Breakers gets back to me on nice. a potential working there. there it still go. be virtually. I'm not going to actually fly to New Zealand in case anyone's curious. Uh, if you do, uh, and I, I've I've had some time there. Uh, the men are rugged, so are the women. Uh, <laughs> uh, also, the this social media handle is dope as hell like make sure you check that out all right uh longhorn dave how you doing good uh, great to be here again kirk uh dave whitlock also known as uh longhorn dave or lhd on sports i typically put out a weekly blog highlighting a sportsman of the week but i also do like to focus on the baseball hall of fame put out a blog this week on who i would vote for and I put out a blog maybe two or three weeks ago about the whole ped scandal so i'll mm -hmm. uh, you can go there or just hang into this uh podcast and i'll be sure to tell you everything i think about both all right sounds good ted another regular contributor hey how are you uh ted crockett detroit tiger fan southeast michigan follow the halls uh just dig into the data no podcast for me <laughs> yeah. alec Oh, um, my Twitter handle is the Big Sith. Uh, I usually like to talk about when it comes to Hall of Fames. My personal preference is the baseball and the rock and roll one. Uh, vote for Scott Nolan. Elect more Negro Leaguers. Okay, and Chris, welcome back. Hey, thanks, uh, Chris Meridian, down here in southeastern Wisconsin, just outside of Waukesha. Got my key Tom Bowers summer league shirt on tonight. Nice and. Uh, Grew up a Brewers fan, so uh, hoping to see, well, I don't think we got any Brewers that are pushing for the Hall any, anytime soon, but uh, glad to see them uh, turn, the, turn the things around here lately. And we also have uh, Jeff, although I think you muted, I think you put yourself on mute there. Jeff Schlegel, you can check me out on youtube.com slash TV, and if you're into pro wrestling, brother, youtube.com. <laughs> Slash OTRS Central Twitter handle OTRS Central and the Jeff Schlegel. I am looking forward to this. As you can see, I am prepared and ready to roll. I broke out the court bats and everything. You you had Uncle Phil before. What? what? He's trying to he trying to make it with the theme, Kirk. I don't know. I kind of like the Uncle Phil thing because if there's somebody that we that I really wanted to throw out, you could have just sort of done that, you know, with Uncle Phil, like like you sort of. Did I can I can break Prince. it out at any time. Not Fresh Prince, <laughs> yeah, it's not Fresh Prince. Uh, DJ DJ Jazzy Jeff, who's wondering if uh, you want fries with that. Uh, moving on. You want fries with that? 
Oh, what else is he doing? Apparently <laughs> something else. I don't know. Maybe he wants maybe he wants onion rings for a change. I like onion rings. I like potato that. wedges. Ooh, that'll be good. But I'm moving into uh, yeah, moving to Winnipeg, so pierogi country. Anywho, let's uh, start off with. Uh, I just want to start off with those who look like they have a good shot. And right now, from not Mr. Tibbs, who does a great job as a baseball tracker, uh, there's three people who are projected over right now, but not really projected, just based on the votes that come in. Uh, I think it's safe to say, because we've seen this every year, a lot of the younger voters will submit their votes uh, and are not really frightened to sort of say, this is what we're thinking. A lot of the older votes, voters don't, submit 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 that publicly and we generally see these numbers go down so david ortiz is right now over the 75 percent threshold from known ballots as is uh roger clemens and barry bond so let's start off with these three let's go with ortiz uh i'm personally of that opinion i wish evan was here uh, as a red sox fan but he's not uh do we think david ortiz is going to be one and in yeah, I think uh, he. I think he will. Uh, remember, Avon Pudge Rodriguez got in barely with seventy percent, seventy six percent of the vote in two thousand seventeen. He, of course, has the same steroid allegations as David Ortiz. So I think he gets in, but I think it's towards that seventy five, seventy six, very close skin of my teeth mark. I think Ortiz has one thing going against him. He was, a, or going for him, excuse me. And that was, he was quite a bit of a media darling mm-hmm. throughout still his is. career. Yeah. He still is. Like, if you look at it just from importance to team and what they meant to the organization, for my money, Manny meant a little bit more than Ortiz did. Um, but when you look at how friendly the media is to him, I kind of agree with Alec. Like, he would be one of those guys that I could see right on that borderline he either just misses and gets in next year or he, he's got a shot this year mm-hmm. i'm wondering if like the last year push for bonds and clemens is gonna push him down just a little bit might keep him out um I just, I just find it interesting that he seems to be getting a lot more of a pass than some of the other guys there's just a lot of discrepancy here in terms of like ped users alleged ped users i i think and evan and i have talked about this a lot and i, I certainly want a, a lot of your opinions on this uh, especially when we talk about the next two guys, uh, maybe we'll just bring them in now, Clemens and Bonds. My Mendoza line, to borrow a term here, is 2004, which is when after that and after the Mitchell report, when they said, okay, we are now going to agree as baseball players that, we're, that if, we do ta- if we take PEDs, we're going to be suspended. Prior to that, it was the Wild West. So I personally don't give a shit about any player who, who juiced before that because they all knew, we all knew they were doing it and there was no penalty for anyone who did. So as much as Bonds and Clemens denied, never, neither of them ever got caught, which is, is I think important. Ortiz was named in the Mitchell report, but none of those three guys were ever suspended. Yeah. Actually, I interrupt you. He was not in the Mitchell report. He was in the New York Times report that had of the 104 players that had that had Alex Rodriguez in it. In okay, but, Ramirez, but, not, but they were never tested positive in terms of a, a baseball rule. 
So the way I personally view it when it comes to the steroid thing is that I'm going to go out and line, just say this. I don't give it. I don't care. <laughs> I, okay. I, 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 I don't, I don't care. Like there's people that did like greenies in the past, cork bats in the past. I mean, this is a sport that's despite still not having Joe Jackson in, in, inducted, they have a field of dreams game. They also still prop up all this other stuff. I understand they may say it's not connected, but they're, they're in bed with them. Like, I really don't care. I don't really care. Put. Yeah, I know. I realize it's a different process, different thing. Yeah, they're, they're, come on. They're, they're the yes. same thing. They're, they're, they're more the same. It's the no, same. I'm, I'm saying. But once Bud Seelig got in, like, how can you put the sheriff in charge of everything in the damn Hall of Fame and then not put the players that he was able to profit off of? That's ridiculous. Well, this is what the argument is. The, even when you talk about, like, the Bonds and the Clemens, to your point, Kirk, about the Mendoza line of 2004 and before, you know, then where's the Mendoza line for a Gaylord Perry? You know, a mm-hmm. white Ford, known admitted cheaters. Yep. Garen's, God bless them. Like, these are guys that were doing methamphetamines and so forth. Like, those are other forms of performance enhancers. Like, why did steroids get such a significantly bigger uh, shame attached to them as opposed to guys throwing spitballs and all this other crap that they were doing over the decades of baseball? And it, moving forward, I mean, like, I think if we have this debate 15 years from now, I hope I still have my hair then, uh, that Jose, Jose Altuve's are we going to be talking about his role in the Astro scandal? I don't know. A couple of years if you talk about uh, Beltran with that. True. Next year. Yeah. That's going to be something. <laughs> I think what really, what I think really was why this, this set off so many alarms is because they were, this was the year it's because it was like with Bonds is breaking the whole time home run record and the single season home run record before Sosa McGuire during the Silver area, all these records were being break in like, like, like one after one after another. And they turned to really turned a blind eye because with the Sosa McGuire chase, because it brought baseball back in popularity from the strike. And that's why I don't get really is they're, they're Tate judging and they're just, uh, and like you hypocrite, like, 20 years ago, you were praising them. Now you're saying, now you're looking at them in shame. Like, okay, so, 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 so two things to that. Uh, yeah, we knew back then that McGuire was taking shit. I mean, we all saw that, uh, that locker room <laughs> thing with the well, Andrew Steen Dion. Thank you. Yeah, I could. Re- I, Tony LaRusso yeah, didn't. Tony LaRusso didn't care about it. Like he was fine with both with the A's and the Cardinals. Right. <laughs> with but it. things took a change when Bonds start, started juicing too, and I think a big part of that, and I don't know that this that it had has anything to do with him being black so much as it has hit something to do with him being not giving a shit about the media. It's probably both. Probably a little. Maybe bit both. Out. I don't know. Def, def, as someone, as someone who works for Zenny Abraham, who has been a part of the Bay Area for his entire life. Okay. It is definitely both. I can definitely assure you it is both. Okay. So so then that's really the, the tipping point for everything. Because going back to Alex's point, when we're, t- when we're looking at how, yes, there was a blind eye, but it was also sort of something that we we enjoyed or a lot of people bought into the chase of McGuire chasing uh, Maris. Very few of us, well, actually, I don't want to throw that in. I guess I got my little 
San Fran jersey on that. On your <laughs> uh, how, there was a lot of people who were against Barry Bonds surpassing Hank Aaron. Uh, Hank Aaron didn't endorse him either. I mean, I know that, I mean, he did to a certain point, but uh, from what I was reading in the past, Bonds was trying to, the Bonds camp was trying to get Hank Aaron to show up and he never did. So it wasn't necessarily a passing of the torch. It was because bon, Aaron well, I think said, you know, you're juicing. One of itself. In one of his final interviews, Hank Aaron admitted that, yeah, Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame in one of his final interviews. Well, I don't think Hank Aaron ever really said that he shouldn't have been. It, it was, just, but I don't think he necessarily tactfully. It wasn't a champion him for him. Yeah. Yes. He wasn't, he wasn't the type of champion that maybe a Willie Mays, his godfather, would have been for a Barry Lamar. Right. Right. Yeah. That. That's actually. Better wording. Uh, th- thanks a lot, Jeff. I'd like so, to yeah. weigh in on the counter. Can I weigh in on the counterpoint for the PEDs? That just. Yeah. yeah. I, first of all, I get. I, I get all the rationale that people yeah. want that are okay with voting in PED guys. Other, everybody was doing it, especially Bud Selig, who I despise maybe a mild term. I just feel like he's one of the – He leaked steroids. If he took steroids, they were broke. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the uh, – but, you know, and then the, the hallowed people that, that hover above where you guys are going to cut them down is, you know, there is an integrity about being in the Hall of Fame and being elected to it. And the quote integrity clause, which is only like three words in this two paragraph thing. But uh, but I, I, I just struggle to look at what they did, uh, even in the context, even in that and say, yep, yep, yeah, put them in. They should be right there next to the other guys. Admittedly, other guys probably did stuff, too. Some of them caught the book Fall for by uh, Jim Booten came out and exposed a lot of things. So that's all the context there. But but it, particularly because of some of the records and, and the way I kind of saw it go down that you guys touched around was, you know, McGuire and Sosa had this amazing 1998, uh, broke all the records and Bonds is sitting there like I could, I could easily kill these records if, if, if I just do the same things they're doing. And next thing you know, he, he, you know, he obliterated them and, you know, to, to the point of almost making, you know, when you're walking with the bases loaded, when his, you know, he's, he's got 200 walks a year, whatever, it, it just got ridiculous. Uh, but it's not just Bonds. Let's talk about Clemens too. Now, now I'm a University of Texas guy. Clemens pitched for my Astros in 2004, and I, I'm not voting for him either. I, I think he uh, crossed the line. You know, you start to look at some of how his numbers dipped, and then even before the late when he was in his 40s, when they went up, uh, you could start. You know, there were some bad years, and all of a sudden there were some good years. And I'm sure he was taking things to help his body heal. That's what this is about: it's body healing and body strength. And I just, I, I, I don't vote for those two guys. Uh, I, I did vote for Ortiz, or I mean, I don't have a vote, but I would vote for Ortiz. He's a little bit not quite in that same color, a little bit a generation after the game had been cleaned up a little bit. Yeah, he, he might have, uh, particularly before the testing, but uh, but the 500 home runs and, and the leadership and the MVP finishes uh, all, all kind of tilt me to uh, to put him in and not Bonds and Clemens. I'm not saying I'm right. Everybody's got to make their decision, but that's, that's, that's my stance. Yeah, I just, when I think about, uh, I think, Ted, thank you for posting that, uh, the clause that we're talking about here, the integrity clause, you know, you can go back throughout history and you say, Cap Anson did everything that he could to keep the game segregated. I certainly think he's a shit behavior that doesn't deserve to be recognized anywhere, but he is recognized, you know, I believe he was even a inaugural inductee in the Hall of Fame, Rogers Hornsby, you know, plenty of allegations about him being a KKK member back in his playing days. And certainly- 
High carbon. Actually, the high carb thing. High carb yeah, that, that's, that's that's a people always accuse that. The real reason as to why the Ty Cobb accusation happened is because there was a person in the media who didn't like Ty Cobb, and so we made those allegations against him, and that still kind of haunts it. So the Ty Cobb stuff is BS. In fact, quite the opposite. He was very a big proponent of segregation. No, no, no. He was a proponent of integration, not segregation. He was a proponent of integration. He was then, oftentimes someone that wanted the Negro Leagues players to be in. Yeah, the I'm just. I'm just coming back to like, as I think about all the people over the years, like Charlie Comiskey as an owner was a complete and total piece of garbage. You know, Tom Yank, I think the Red Sox owner, Tom Yankee. Yeah. Yeah. I want to just grow, ground back to what Dave is talking about, like the integrity piece. And you know, we talk about like the character issues when it comes to the hall. Like to me, the PED things only exposes the larger hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Ways. I and I look at it and I say, if I look at the Gaylord Perry's of the world, then Hank Aaron and that whole generation was on PEDs, like not PEDs, but methamphetamine, you know, amphetamines, greenies, greenies. And everything else. Like those, those are performance answers too, certainly. Um, you know, it's just interesting that we're drawing the line of demarcation specifically with the PED users and just with certain ones. Cause like when you say, hey, you know, maybe no to Bonds or Clemens, but yes to Ortiz, I say, well, what the hell is the difference? There's another one I see. Yeah, I think the other thing that gets to me is uh, this: a lot of the same people who vote for the MVPs are voting for the Hall of Fame. They knew what was up. And they they knew what was up. Voting Bonds a seven-time MVP. Clemens a seven-time Cy Young Award winner. Right, right. Uh, I also hear it this way. Did you know that there's also a character clause for those awards as well? For the MVP? They just don't care about them? Yeah, there's there's a character. There's a character. Again, my personal opinion on character, morality is subjective no matter how you slice it. I I just think of that pure simple. And there's a character clause for those placed as well and didn't stop them from, they knew exactly what was going on and they they didn't give it to someone else. They still gave it to them. Yeah, and, and Bonds probably could have still been playing another couple years uh, after his contract ran out. Just nobody wanted to touch him. Because he, he they I, colluded. I, I fully believe Major League Baseball and the owners colluded to keep him out. Yeah, and well, I'll, I'll, I'll go a step further. Uh, I've I'll, I'm going to say that I think there's a bit of collusion here. Why did this? Uh, why did this? Uh, all this tradition of having a 15 year wait change to 10 years? They want to get these guys off the ballot. Yep. There's no mm-hmm. doubt in my mind. Yeah, there's no other reason to change it. There's no, mm-hmm. de- there's no doubt. They're trying to hurry up and get through this era. And, uh, it, it's not a surprise. Right, It'll so be let's... interesting to see what the Veterans Committee guys will do with these, these players. Mm-hmm. I, I don't and, trust uh, them either. I, I just no. I don't trust them either. <laughs> they're, they're, they're even worse. They're, I'm not, I don't trust those or people. Some people, like... Graham, Warwick, Graham or I, Mormack of uh, Sabar had a idea. I don't know if he still has it for a separate steroids committee. Ah. Steroids committee. Uh, I know some of you took it. That's the thing. Yeah, like, like I would That's put that on the part. same level. I would put that on the same level as a pre-integration, like a pre-1947 committee. Yeah. Like well, Specifically for that, you might have like a old old school committee. Let, let, let's have Ken Seiko on favorite. the committee. Okay, so here's all the people I injected. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> I just, I think Vinny brings up a really good distinction though, is why is the character so different for an MVP or Cy Young award? But then when all of a sudden, when you get to the hall of fame, the game profited off of them, use their name and their likeness for in many years. And all of a sudden they're not good enough for the museum where if you think about the history of the game and you think about the guys that you absolutely cannot tell the story of the game without, it's guys like Bonds. It's guys like Clement. They are a major part of the story and the history. Same thing with Sosa. You know, these guys. Well, okay, so let's talk about Sosa. Because, uh, like, I, I, rather than just sort of, like, go in terms of, of where they are in terms of their voting, but since we're on this PED hill, let's talk about Sosa and, and Ramirez. Uh, uh, Jeff, you're a Chicago guy, right? So Yeah. So Sosa, to me, is a very interesting candidate when it comes to this. Uh I have never seen anyone other than Vizquel <laughs> fall out of love, like where the media just fell out of love with somebody so quickly. And his numbers do not reflect, especially when you look at the other PED guys. I mean, Sosa was not as good as Bonds, but from what we've seen, his numbers reflect the Hall of Famer. Why is Sosa having zero shot here? And I want to open that up to all of you. Jeff knows this um, more than anyone. I, he can answer this. Yeah, I think it's a couple of things. Uh, the cork bat in 2003. Like, I even remember watching that game live that day against the Devil Rays. Um, back when they were the Devil Rays. Mm. Um, that is another strike against him. I think even the way he kind of ended his Chicago career on kind of unceremoniously leaving the uh, Wrigley Field early that last game in 2004, like turn the organization against him, turn the media against him. Whereas you might look at a guy like, let's say, David Ortiz, and you say, Boston loves him, the city loves him, and the organization embraces him. And the Cubs have intentionally, for almost two decades, waged this kind of war against Sammy Sosa, which is complete horse hockey. Like, he was the guy for that team in the 90s. As much as I love the guys like the Graces and the Sandbergs and the Dawsons, he was not only the biggest and most important star for that organization, he was arguably the biggest and most important star of the league for probably a five to six year stretch from about 97, 98 to 2002, 2003, when you look at the entirety of it. Um, you know, he's the one that changed everything about the culture of Chicago as much as they don't want to give him credit because he's the one that he was there and they said, well, we can't have him be like, say, hey, Ernie Banks. You know, we can't have him go and never play on a contender, which is what hiring Dusty Baker in 2003 in that run of 2003 season. I think it's a matter of the media turned against him. Uh, the organization turned against him. It became popular to make him a punching bag. Like in recent years, as you look at like whatever's going on with his pigmentation and how he's dramatically changed in terms of his look, he just unfortunately becomes one of those sacrificial lambs. And when I hear like somebody talks about like a Todd Helton, they're talking about his Hall of Fame case. And when I look at Sammy Sosa, are you nuts? Like I would say PEDs may be similar to the effect you got from playing at mile high altitude for the majority of your career and half of your games there. And there's a huge distinction in his numbers. Um, yeah, I think, I think Sammy's just a victim of some like of Also, should mention, not caught either. In terms of the steroid piece, you're talking about with Todd. Yeah, yeah you're referring to the steroids. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Not with not with the steroids, but he was caught with the court bat in 2003. Right, right. Yeah, I'm just saying like that becomes that additional layer. That's the difference. 
well, let me throw this out. And I guess this is more for, for you, Jeff, here. Uh, the media will turn on people really quick, especially, I think, if they feel they were fooled. I, 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 and I'm, I tried to find this piece and I couldn't find it. I think Rick Riley was the first guy from Sports Illustrated. Back when Sports Illustrated was a thing. <laughs> it's still around. It's just barely a thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is but, Rick Riley still a thing? And if so, why? I don't know. I don't, but I, I, he did this one piece on, on Sosa uh -huh. and basically sort of saying, well, okay, if you want to take, if you want to take a PD test, like, oh, well, I hear I have one with me because he was one of those people saying, I never, I never did that. And then story after story after story of Sosa coming out as not the nicest guy in the world. Did the media feel like they were they, they were fooled? And once they feel that way, do they then just turn on you really quick? Yeah, I think it's a little bit like Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods could have been the bad boy of golf. He could have been sitting there and banging everything under the sun and never hid from that. He could have gotten all, probably all the same endorsement deals, maybe even more. Sure. He would have every bit the following, could have won every tournament that he did. But it was a fact, to your point, that people felt they were lied to, both fans and media, mm -hmm. the game, the league. They put him up on this pedestal and then they found out, oh, there's this whole seedy underbelly. And I think there is a little bit of that Kirk when it comes to Sosa is like, you know, he used to say, I only take the Flintstone vitamins. Baseball has been very, very good to me. And, you know, he did the whole kissy thing and, you know, there were all these things. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you just, Remember, oh my God. That, uh, it, when he oh was testifying against Congress, he, could, he tried to pretend that he couldn't speak English. That's right. I can't yeah. blame him. Yeah, that, that's a big one too. Just remember that. I mean, the people there, like Paul Merrill, looked like oh, like like such a hero. I believed him. Yes. <laughs> yes, but it's also a now we're in an age in which I don't want to get political here. Now we're in an age in which people not only have so much venomous hatred against the media, but have just as much, if not more, against Congress. So. Where has that been okay. to this situation as well? Vinny, that you just segued this perfectly. So why don't we talk about you talk we want to talk politics? Oh, yeah, God, so, here we right. go. Well, well, real no, quick, hey, before we up. get onto that, I, I want to say something else about Sosa. Yeah. I think what happens is people see the voting trends, what I call herd voting or herd. Yeah. And Great if, point. if I have a vote and I'm limited on votes. And I see that Sosa's in their eighth, ninth, and now 10th year, and he's not getting traction. I'm just going to stop voting for him and go somewhere else um, to keep guys that might have a chance. Because everybody five years ago could see what was going on, that he had no chance to get in. So why continue voting for him? So you're going to let the 20, 25% at most holdouts that say, I'm going to vote for him no matter what, but nobody else is going to, even though. Right. And so he's down to 17% last year. He, he probably won't get any, he'll get less than that this year. And I think that's a trend that you see a lot. People go up or they go down. And then once they get to a certain point, they're not going to stay stagnant. They're going to drop usually. It's like the Scott Rollins of the world after a couple of years going from like seven or 8%, I think it is to 45 or 50%. He got better. Yeah, yeah, he got he got can, better even more years after. Look at, yeah, you can look at the data and know who's going to go up this year and who's not before even right. any of the votes come in. I mean, yeah. it's easy. You should see how my list would be like if there was no limits. 
No, it, we all know what you're listening. You, you have writers. Limits. <laughs> I was gonna, uh, did you play the before the Civil War? You're probably at yes. about twenty four gamers. In the baseball yes. group, I was I was going to say, but I figured like all, all you youngins wouldn't get it. Like when you said that you would vote for Don Lester, I was going to say that Vinny would vote for Willie Tyler and Lester, but I don't think anyone would have got that. Okay, boomer. Okay, fuck off. I'm not a boomer. <laughs> I joke, I joke, I hit, I hit. Yeah, okay. I might be 50, but... God, 50. When the hell did that happen? Jesus Christ. You just turned 50? I'm going to turn 50. So, well, if you're 49, you might as well say 50. What difference you is might that? might as well. I mean, it's it, it, it much more easier to, to pinpoint. It's well, like saying 99, 100. Nobody cares. Tyler's still alive? I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure Lester's in, in like a box somewhere. Now, right? Yeah, I'm old enough to get the reference. So. Right, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. I get the reference. <laughs> All right, so let's go to, uh, speaking of crotchety old men, Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling has told people not to vote for him, and it's working. Well, yeah. Well, he's going to be. I, I, he's going to be in by the state gate committee, probably in two thousand twenty-three. State gate committee uh, would be the veterans committee. Yeah, I, I, Alec, your your sound's not coming in too good. All right. Better. No. No, it sounds like you're still speaking from a distance. From a distance. Have to wait till your battery gets fixed. So, is a. Obviously, he's a Hall of Famer. He's going to get in eventually. He's just pissed off too many people. Um, it's his last year, so people took him up on his offer. Don't have to waste on it. Move on. I mean, that's really where he's at. Only The only issue I see with this is he's just going to clog that veteran committee even more. Keep some other guys that could have been a fringe player out a little bit longer. That's, that's the shilling issue. I, I think the thing with that, that too, uh, I'm trying to remember who was, which, which writer it was, uh, crap. Doesn't matter. Sean hmm? Dan Shaughnessy? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was that? Uh, Immediate gag reaction from Vinny, you mentioned that name. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't Shaughnessy, actually. I, not, not even Bill James. Uh, it's another, not, someone who has a vote, but not necessarily a writer. Uh, but he said that his belief was he didn't want Schilling to profit off being a Hall of Famer. And the whole thing is they're using his political beliefs against him. And I personally, as long as you're not an extremist, I don't really care what they are. But with Schilling, and, and I, we've learned this with Pete Rose, Pete Rose is a bigger name because he's not in the Hall of Fame. So will Kurt Schilling. You want to make him less, make his name less valuable? Put him in the Hall of Fame. Well, it's kind of yeah. Well, I think that's that's a good point. Is there's almost a conspiracy thought here? Like, let me, Vinny, just for you, put on my Alex Jones tinfoil hat here. But if you yeah, think, you, you you know the gift very very well. Has <laughs> that has that face? <laughs> but if you really think about it. He has more leverage and more benefit to your point about I'm not in the Hall of Fame. Look at the conspiracy against me. He can play like the whole liberal media bias kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You don't usually hear that associated with baseball. 
I think Kirk, you are actually onto something is that I do wonder if Kurt Schilling even truly wants to be in the Hall of Fame. Maybe there's part of him that says my career deserves it. I should be in there, but maybe it's better for him on the speaking tour tours and the circuits and in conservative circles in the long term if he's not. And maybe there actually is more profit to be made by not being a Hall of Fame than actually being one. I, I got to interview Pete Rose for the site, uh, one of the first interviews I ever got to do. And he told me directly, I'm a bigger name because of this. You know, and he's got that uh, where he just pretty much sits in a place in Vegas all day. Uh, and he makes like like a, like a million five or something a year from, from that. Would he be making a million five if he if it's should if it's Hall of Famer Pete Rose as opposed to and Pete Rose? Especially when you're the most notable player that's alive. That's not it. Right. Like, he was the most notable player. Though in Harold Baines's case, it's the exact opposite. Yeah, with him, with Harold Baines, it feels like, and even though I do, I said before, yes, he made it, but as a result, I kind of, again, I made this before, I feel bad for the dude at this point because he just feels like a poster child of everything that's wrong with the hall. And he didn't actually be inducted. He got in because of, you know. Surprised. Yeah, he's he's yeah. surprised. I, I I feel bad for the dude because he almost felt like, you know, now he's like a big, you know, scapegoat for all the issues. And like, yeah, obviously, I don't think his career was worthy as like other people on there, but just an example. But as for Kurt Schilling, as Kirk said, as someone who grew up watching, seeing Fox News when I was very little at these in like 2008 during the election, I remember during that time. I know for a fact how that side of the aisle works. And so often the times the persecution complexes and victim blaming are essential to how a lot of them are. Now, I'm not saying this as a liberal or a conservative. I, I'm very down the middle. But I know that whenever someone is left out that is one of their own, they view that as the, the establishment is against us. We, they are using us as the victim for their ultimate goal. And as a result, Kurt Schilling is in that mold of being that. And yeah, they ran with it last year. They ran with it the year before that, and they're going to run with it this year as well. Just for the merits of Kurt Schilling, mm-hmm. and I've always had the problem, and I think of him somewhat similar to a Jack Morris, although I think Kurt's overall playoff performance is probably better. Like, if he didn't have that, you're really only going off of a 10 actual full seasons as a big league, like, starting pitcher. If he didn't have all of the, you know, if he didn't have the World Series rings with Arizona 2001, 2004, 2007 with the Red Sox, like, are we even talking about Kurt Schilling as a Hall of Famer? Oh, 2,000 oh, strikeouts. Yeah, he's, he'd be a lot, huge lot. His wars, his, his wars high, yeah, he's got, he's got numbers that's not even close to debatable. Yeah, he has a lot. I mean, it's not just the playoffs; it's regular season as well. It's it's more yeah. analytically driven, but there is a lot of stuff there. Now, borderline or not, either way, the fact of the matter is he has both of those to his resume. So, I think even if you didn't have the conspiracy or cons- conservative angle, what have you, he would still have a lot of demand. Yeah, you well, know, I had me- kind of, I had him kind of borderline anyway, and I didn't quote vote for in the first few years until I really looked at the strikeout numbers. 
ERA north of 3.6 is, is in that Jack Morris and Mike Messina range where I'm like, mm-hmm. mm, these are guys that, that are just kind of, they're, they're, you know, over 200 wins, great to over 220 wins or whatever it is. But Fenway uh, is like a hitter's paradise, though. It, it, but yeah, he only pitched there, four years at Fenway at the end of his career. So let's not pretend he spent his entire career at Boston. He was mostly with the Phillies. No. I, I would just say that it was a hitter's era, and, and, and it was a difficult to get out like Messina with an ERA at uh, near three. I mean, there's, there's only so many Greg Maddoxes and Tom Glavins out there that can that could do that. So, and Pedro uh, but, but Martinez. Yeah. Pedro Martinez, absolutely. But um, and, and so, yeah, I, I, I think his numbers warrant it. I don't think it's, it's as slam dunk as Ted thought. Uh, and, and I don't hold the, I don't <laughs> yeah. hold the politics uh, against him. I, I, he's a yes vote for me. He's one of my eight yes votes. I think with the playoffs, he becomes a slam dunk. Yes, I think when you talk just yeah, the playoffs help. alone, and there there's no slam dunk there. That's like you're you're coming up with the analytics to support it. Doesn't mean he's not. I'm just saying like he's much more borderline. I think Ted than respectfully than what you're saying. Right. Yeah. And, and again, that's why we disagree. I mean, he's right. he's right there with Bob Gibson with War. So you you look at you look at the numbers. They're there. And again, I don't like the guy. So it's just. But to me, the numbers are clear. I have this from uh, Glenn, who couldn't be with us because he's in Antarctica. I'm not making that up. That's really where he is. So, uh, Glenn, That's awesome. Glenn, who is, who is uh, <laughs> blocked by, proudly blocked by Kurt Schilling on Twitter, had <laughs> uh, this to say, he sent me this note. Schilling has no business being in the Hall of Fame, and it was ketchup on the sock or he pulled some WWE shit and had a razor blade somewhere and did it all for, for dramatic effect. I don't think he really believes that, but I thought I'd throw that in because I thought he wanted me to say something. Ah, ah. <laughs> so I, I thought that was sort of uh, worth mentioning. Uh, if we're going to stay with uh, Good Samaritans, let's just briefly look at, because he's not getting in now, Omar Vizquel, holy shit. I have never seen anyone. Scumbag. Well, yeah. I'm sure he wouldn't be the only uh, domestic abuser in the hall. There's a lot of them. Uh, There's a lot of them. There's there's a a lot of them. (laughs) But, well, well, it's not, well, Omar was an overrated candidate anyways. I agree with you. Yes, like what? Where did where did the Omar love come from? I mean, and the old came from the safe percentage. One, you'll say, "Oh, Ozzy Smith, Luis Arrigio, those guys had at least had a slightly above at bat, and they were silent, solid base runners." Omar never led anything in offense except for maybe sacrifice bunts. What you want a Hall of Famer doing bunting? It's because he they counted hits. That's why he had a bunch of hits. He had a bunch of counting stats. Well, and, and the gold gloves. Some of those old timers liked it. Again, okay. Let's look at this. the gold gloves are fucking garbage. Yeah, I mean, the Wilson defensive players. That that's a real metric. Rafael Palmeiro won as a designated one as a designated hitter. I understand. I'm yeah. just saying, like, if we're talking about where the case for Omar Vizquel seems to come sure. out of here. Like I mean, it comes from he had eleven gold gloves. Right. Not, not just that. There's a, there's also the player. save percentage. That's also pretty huge too. The save percentage is the highest ever. Save percentage. Save percentage. Yes. Run well, save. Fielding percentage. Put that in the garbage. Yeah, the save percentage. Yeah. Fielding percentage. The nine eight five fielding percentage. That's what it is. It's the highest all time. Hockey too, and I forgot. Field, fielding for fielding percentage. <laughs> save percentage. percentage is garbage. That has Pasto Polanco. 
at both second and third as the best second and third defensive baseman of their position. I do want to be clear, though. I'm not saying that Omar Vizquel was overrated as a like didn't deserve a lot of the gold gloves. He, he deserved half of them because I went through a deep dive on this. If, 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 I can't believe I'm saying this. Cal Ripken was uh, should have won a few of those. Probably. I, well, I, I, he had... but, but, he, but he actually, but he, he was actually a defensive compiler. Because if you can compile hits, you can compile defensive B war, which he did. He compiled out. He compiled a lot of things. And Vizquel was an asset. I liked Omar Vizquel as a player. Actually, when the Jays picked him up at, at age 45, he was still an asset. At, even at that advanced stage of his career but you know he was a he was a light hit guy he hit for a little average but not very much and there was absolutely no power he was an okay you know base runner base stealer during kind of like the early and peak years of his career but nothing superstar obviously as alex said, or yeah. received one mvp poll in his entire career Okay, that, yeah. that that's that's a that's another good point there. So only a three-time all-star and he played over 20 years and he had enough name with the gold gloves, like you would have thought at some point in time that would have carried over, and it just didn't. I think when you just look at the era, like when you talk about the hall of good or hall of very good, like Omar Vizquel is one of those guys to me that you look at and you say, There are some good things there outside of the off-the-field stuff, just talking strictly statistics, but even statistically, there's just not enough meat on the bone that says that this guy has to be in the Hall of Fame because I was even close. One-dimensional. Yeah, like, he was, he's like, a, if you're talking about in basketball, he's like a 3 and D guy, and that's his role. And he does the role very well, but that's it. You know? I don't think online it's really good to really be in that area because if you're in that very good space, you're seen way, way worse by a lot of others, even worse than the actual people that are actually bad. But at, at this point, so here's a question I want to ask all of you. If the domestic th- uh, violence, uh, okay, actually, we, we did, I didn't really follow this because I really don't want to pay attention to this shit. Uh, was he convicted or was it just an ac- accusation? It's just like, accusations. It's not confirmed. It's just ac- Okay, all right. He's so, getting investigated. Okay. So he was never indicted or anything. Up. It's not like a, uh, it's not like a, it's not like a Roberto Alomar where there was stuff that was confirmed and the Jays removed him from their ring of honor. This is all accusations. Okay. All right. So if this doesn't come up, does Vizquel, would he have trended upwards? I mean, not in our group, obviously, but would he in the Hall of Fame voters together? Well, he was doing so. better with private voters. He was doing better with private voters. He was at 52% in 2020. Mm-hmm. And then the news came out and then he dropped and like he suffered the worst drop in tracker history and perhaps all of BWAA history. Yeah, uh, we'll know that shortly. He, he, he could have got in on the ninth. If, if it when it came out, honestly, I think he would have been a real tough one to predict, but I, I think he had already leveled out personally. I think you, I think the analytics people, again, the voters are getting younger. Um, I really think his he was going to go down. When you look at his OPS, he, out of the thirty guys on the ballot, he's out of the twenty hitters, he's last in uh, in tons of categories. They would have picked that apart. He was yeah. Even when you look relative to his position, his numbers are still really soft and weak. Right. Not you know. Like I said, it, sometimes it's tricky. Hits. Yeah, it's tricky comparing him to like corner outfielders or corner infielders or center field where you look for more traditional power numbers to come from but 
Well, then speaking of soft and weak, A Rod. <laughs> wow. No. Wow. Threw that out there. Oh, I'm from the area. I might have a few words I'm, I'm, to say. I'm, about I'm it. just jealous because of JLo. That that's my jealousy talking. That's all that is. I'll, I'll, you I'll, shouldn't I'll be. I am. Why? JLo, come on. I mean, if you want to have sex with her, just get engaged to her. How many times she's been engaged? Like 350. Well, I have a <laughs> There's children watching. <laughs> Te- teaching in life. Kept it to this sort of level, and it's also age appropriate for me. So I wanted to also. I joke. I joke. We're all. Age, joke. We're, we're all legally not. We're all legally allowed to drink. I mean, it, yeah. God. Anyway, but okay. A Rod, though he he's someone I more fascinated with where he was going to fall than anyone else in my entire life watching this in his first year. I did. I would have, if he would have went from 20, anywhere from 20 to 70, and I wouldn't have been surprised. Looks like he's probably going to be around 50. Yeah. A-Rod did get popped. A-Rod's unlikable. Multiple times. I think he's going to be about 30, 35. 35, okay. All right, so yeah. A-Rod and I, I somehow got welcomed back in the baseball society uh, through, because he's part of the whole uh, what uh, Fox baseball. <laughs> I believe for a few years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, somewhere Sunday in, night baseball. Pal, uh, Paul, Sunday night baseball. Yes, somewhere Bonds, Palmero. They're all sort of like they've got a support group, thinking like, why is he let it back in and we're not? You all hated him more than us. I think that his his kind of a ride could be a dick, but mm-hmm. then sometimes the way he comes across is much more like congenial or friendly. Whereas Paul Merrill was more standoff, mm. was more I'm gonna fuck you up unless my unless your name is Jim Leland, then I will cower um, because I'm scared of you, Marlboro man. Um, but I think A Rod, like he's very photogenic, very well spoken, you know, kind of non-threatening in terms of the kind of commentator role that he has. So I could certainly see why he came back in. There's also more tabloid stuff with him, so. Bringing him into the fold gives you a little more attention, gets you a little more buzz. Um, Another reason too. I'm 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 right here, New York. Yeah. And he was never really a jerk to the media or the writers. Yeah, it's like he was. That's it, that's a good point. Alex. He was more of a paparazzi victim in many ways. I almost hate like you know always having to go for how people talk. Like personally. I don't care how you are with the media. That doesn't matter to me. Like more and more people are more standoffish towards the media because they don't want to deal with a lot of them. But, this, and, but it might not matter to you, but does it matter to the voters? Like that's yeah, that ma- it matters to them. I'm part. I'm I graduated with my BA, but you know it matters so much to them. But it's not about them. It's about the players they're voting for. But it almost feels like too often it's being about them and. Listen, I have no issue with the idea of potentially getting a broadcast with their own own plaque. I don't mind that. But they also already have a separate, you know, second tier award that they get, and they're upset with that. So it almost feels like in the eyes of others, they yeah, have an axe to grind. They take I, advantage of it. You have a whole dedicated show for all this stuff. So I'm just, there, I'm just saying my thoughts on that. Like, I know, I, it can feel like hey, it has. Ted, yep. I've got a question for Ted. What did Clemens and Bonds have their first go round? Because they're what, year 10 now. So this is the last. They're one. on year 10, yeah. Yep. 
So there's what did they have? So I'm trying, to, I'm trying year, to do a comparison of where they fell out compared to A Rod. Oh well, A Rod's gonna gain. I'll, I predict that not this year, but with with Bonds, Clemens, Sosa, and probably Ortiz all coming off, I see a lot of votes to be had going forward. It, as I, I did a quote strategic ballot that I submitted to Kurt and I left A-Rod off only because I wanted to get some of these other guys a vote and talk about them. And I knew A-Rod had a lot of time and room for growth. So I think you're going to see some, some increases there. Nothing's changed in terms of what he did, but you're going to, you're going to see a, a angle up there. Same with how many years is, how many years has A-Rod been on the ballot now? This is this is first, first year for A Rod, and you were so asking, he's around thirty percent, and I think weren't Clemens and Bonds, Vinny, Ted, somewhere around thirty-five ish. I, I have right here. Um, all four of them, Schilling, Clemens, Bond, and Sosa, all came in 2000, uh, 2013. Schilling got thirty-eight point eight, Clemens got thirty-seven point six, Bonds got thirty-six point two, and Sosa got twelve point five. So you could, you're saying, uh, what that's saying to me is. The voters in A-Rod's first year, potentially, if we're thinking he's going to end up somewhere around 30%, they associate him much more closely with Schilling, Bonds, and Clemens specifically, if we're talking about the PED stuff the last two. And they've clearly differentiated him significantly from Sosa. Correct. I think a point like that would potentially suggest, as you said, Ted, as other guys fall off the ballot, like he might get to 50% over the next couple of years and then kind of hover there. But as you get to like year nine and 10, he does enough good work in the media. I could see him getting in in that 10-year window. I really could. It may depend on what some of the other guys do after their 10 years is up. Do they do something on a ERA committee ballot that then, yep. okay, we're going to start accepting these guys. Uh, the thing about A-Rod is, it, does anybody feel like he owned his violations more than the other guys? He sat there, did a media conference, said, yep, I'm going to be out for a year. Yep, I made mistakes. Whereas you have these other guys being a little bit more sketchy and I eh, didn't do it. You never tested me positive. Is that an element that the media is going to say? Yes. Well, at least, yes. at least you took that in. Yeah. yeah they That's love big... media media and the society as a whole loves to tear people down. To build yeah. Them. I know that. I, I it's, I, it's so, it's so clicky. It really is very, very clicky. Well, it's not even about clicky. It's about that society as a whole. That's outside of media. Like we love to tear people down. And then when we're ready, we say, Hey, we're going to build them back up again. Like you think about crap that happened with Tiger Woods. I used that example a couple of years ago. All of a sudden he's in contention for the Masters and man, the whole sporting world stopped. Like this is the greatest thing ever. It's like Jack and 86 at the Masters. And Bill the number one that thing that sells TV is conflict. That's right. And, and so it, media will create conflict because that sells ratings, period. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it definitely does. Like I can say that firsthand. Yeah. They love that dirty laundry. Kick them when they're up. Kick them when they're down. <laughs> it's it's always like, and as a result, this Land is a big reason as to why Ramirez, by comparison, well, let's bring him is, up. Yeah, yeah, might as well. We're mentioning a Rod. We might as well here. I think the funny. It's funny. Uh, it's funny. Uh, he uh, he was in. If you have you watched seen uh, Screwball with uh, the doctor that prescribed them all the PEDs, uh, Anthony Botch, uh, who ran like a clinic in a Miami tanning salon as a doctor, and he was prescribing 
just to prescribe all these people testosterone and all these other PEDs. And he had a lot of clients that were major league players. And one of them, of course, Alex Rodriguez was the most famous one, but he had many clients, including Manny Ramirez, which was actually one of his first ones. And he had some funny stories, like, like uh, they got really close, like so close that Man, there was times Manny Ramirez couldn't sleep, so Bosch had to read him bedtime stories to cool him down. And uh, and when in 2009, uh, of course, that was when he first tested positive when with the Dodgers. Uh, he made the excuse that saying, "Oh, it was a it was an erectile dysfunction medication. You know, I wasn't supposed to take this during game day." He was using that excuse, and I just think that's funny. The whole story of him and Bosch is funny. Well, I guess the question about Manny is why, like, again, maybe it's a similar thing to Sosa, is he was a media darling until he wasn't, and everybody kind of, like, pile on him and tear him down. But, you know, Manny is probably one of the, what, five or so greatest right-handed hitters in the history of baseball. We look at a combination of average and power. Oh, um, yeah. Did you? What he, what he did with, and I wish Evan was here for this. Didn't uh, Ramirez uh, accost uh, one of the traveling secretaries? I don't remember, honestly. Like a, like a late in his Red Sox tenure, which I think really turned a lot of the media against him. I mean, I guess, it's, I guess it sort of goes back to like, I guess you can say like, Manny's being Manny as long as he's getting your hits. Well, and I think like you look at Manny, though, and I think when you talk about when things really changed for Boston is when he signed there back. What was it? It was like 2001. He got the eight year. I think it was hundred sixty million dollar contract. A lot of people even at the time were like, whoa, this guy's good, but is he that good? And like, yeah, it was seven years, hundred nineteen million. Is that what it was? Okay. No, no, no. The Indians offered him that. And then the Red Sox got an eight year, hundred sixty million dollar deal. See, Jeff still remembers his shit. I haven't forgotten everything. Uh, How do you look at these things so fast? <laughs> but as you think about, if you think about Manny, like he was the dude. Because the Red Sox already had Pedro and they were getting to a point, but they weren't that level. Like when Manny came in, he was that dude. When I think about those Red Sox teams, and especially the ones that ultimately won the World Series, I think about Manny first and foremost. And I think that's for a good reason. Like this is a World Series MVP. This is a guy that was a premier heat hitter for an extended period of time in his career, both average and power. Um, you know, he was clearly one of the best. And I just, as I see some of these other guys, like, was he quite as good as A-Rod? No, but A-Rod statistically is one of the truly, truly, truly all-time greats when you look at the numbers. But Manny's not that far down. I mean, Manny's, Manny's got a better playoff. Greats of this time. Oh, easily. Yeah. Easily. And yeah, we talk enough about that. You know, I, I baseball is to me the one sport or the one out of the big four Hall of Fames where playoff accomplishments seem to matter the least. And maybe it's a bit, I'm going to quote Bill Simmons, where he says baseball is an individual sport trapped in a team sport. And maybe there's something to that. But uh, Manny Ramirez, and for me, he gets my vote, even though I, I did mention that line of demarcation for me. I can't consciously say Ortiz should be in and not Manny Ramirez. Those Red Sox teams 
don't happen without those two. And I don't, you've got Ramirez over Ortiz. I'd have Ortiz over Ramirez in terms of their importance at that time. Either, either way, we're looking at 1A, 1B for us both, right? So I'm going to say it should have been, if Nomar stayed healthy, that would have been an amazing trio of Ortiz, Ramirez, true. and Nomar. Yep. And then the injuries killed his career and the media killed his reputation. Talk about Nomar? Well, that but is- at least he married me a ham. No, I'm um, talking about like, you know, usually uh, I don't want to try to push my own thing. I'm just saying like when it comes to people that are injured, they're seen as, oh, their their chance is done. It's kaput, all that other stuff. I'm not saying for Nomar. The Cubs in 2004, what really hurt Nomar, if we really want to be honest, is when he got traded as part of that big deal to the Cubs in 2004, and the Cubs ultimately missed the playoffs when that was the year they had brought in Maddox, and this was going to be the team that won it all. And the Red Sox changed the makeup of their team, got rid of Nomar, and went on and finally ended the curse of the Bambino. Bambino. Like, you talk about Nomar, like, that was, I think, the first really kind of dent in the armor was as soon as he was traded away, the Red Sox kind of went to another level and got to a place where they hadn't gotten all those years with him being one of the key guys. Yeah, I'm just saying in general, when it comes to people that are injured, like a Nomar, for instance, it feels like those people oftentimes get, like, put down even harder almost like well, we had tony oliva who just got in by the golden Age era committee great hitter like an omar 300 hitter until the injury struck and yeah. he just got in so uh never say never for omar who's gonna yeah who, who knows I, I i just think of david right <laughs> that's that's why that's but if you look at if you look at manny's numbers in the playoffs in 2004 and 2007 specifically those first two kind of Red Sox championships of that era. Like those numbers are damn impressive. Like his World Series MVP in 2004, I think he hit over 400. 2007, I remember he was big in the divisional round in the NLCS, wasn't quite as big in the Colorado World Series, but you know, in general, his overall playoff numbers in the times that it mattered most for that team, like they were huge. And I just, breaks my heart to see that he can't even break 30 <laughs> percent oh and me, me too it's like if a, a rod is often seen in the same company as him because they both got popped twice if you're going to give a rod 30 percent in his first ballot why wasn't manny given that i mean it, it doesn't make any sense to me like, it really doesn't great, another great manny story is you know he's after he went to the mlb he spent some time in uh china and japan i think it was his time in japan uh one of the, he has one of the best home run calls ever. Uh, he hits a home run. I don't know for what uh, MPB team. And he in the best home run call I ever heard, the guy says, so long goes the ex-girlfriend. And I just start laughing. I say, this is <laughs> home run call I've ever heard. So long goes the ex-girlfriend? So yeah. long goes the ex-girlfriend. It was done like that. And no, it was not China. It was Taiwan. Taiwan. Uh, what do you, what do you, are you John Cena here? Yeah. Just want to say Taiwan is not part of China. Okay. Well, Mandarin in old time. I would say, yeah, Manny Ramirez is a definite yes for me, if not for the PEDs. As I said earlier, I left them off for that. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, like I said, I just keep coming back to that whole integrity thing. And I think it just speaks to the larger problem with. Oh, it's got a dated philosophy and approach. It's an old game. That's why it continues to lose viewership and popularity. Um, and when I look at the integrity clause, like you can go throughout the history of baseball and so many of those guys in the Hall of Fame and 
You look at them and they say they absolutely do not hold up to the standard, both in terms of their play on the field and the way they played off the field. All right, so you're bringing up a good point here. In terms of, and Evan and I talk about this all the time, uh, right now we're in an era where the best baseball player that maybe any of us have ever seen is Mike Trout. And a lot of people under the age of 30 couldn't pick him out of a police lineup. You know, uh, that's, that's Rob Manfred for you. That's yeah. really good work. Like this quality stuff can find Ken Rosenthal, but can't market his players worth the crap. Like and, at least see like for all of his incompetence, he was like, Hey, we'll do interleague play. Hey, we'll do wild card. These are low hanging fruits, but I finally did them. And he actually knew how to market his players. Mm-hmm. Like, so, but again, bring, yeah, I bring up the Bud Selig name. Once he's in, that should be. And I understand where you're coming from, Dave. Like, if you're trying to hold to that standard. But I think once Bud Selig gets in, like, that standard's got to go. You can't let the guy that was the sheriff that oversaw the entire era that were keeping all these players out in. Like, he just sets a, that to me is another example of the hypocrisy of the Baseball Hall of Fame. The, the, then they'll say that, oh, the, v, the Veterans Committee put him in, not us. That matters. Still the same Hall of Fame. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Yep. It doesn't matter. The public are still going to see them as the, one of the same. Well, here, yep. here's something else I find really interesting about this. Uh, thankfully, the Veterans Committee has put in some players, so we're not going to have an empty uh, ceremony this year. But, uh, Alec, this might be more up your alley because based on your current Twitter handle, but Scott Rowland is trending really high. And with all due respect to Scott Rowland, I like Scott Rowland, but... Roland could be the only person voted in if the other numbers go down, which I suspect they will, out of a group of, and it's talking about Hall of Fame, because the key word also, too, is fame. Roland is not at the same level of all these guys he could beat out. Clemens, Bonds, uh, even Schilling, uh, A-Rod. Scott Rowland could be the only guy. Uh, you're biggest on you're big on Scott Rowland. Uh, tell me why. Well, he was one of my favorite Blue Jays growing up, mm-hmm. and I always loved uh, the way he felt. I I I just I just loved I just loved the way he I he was one of the best feelers I saw, whether it be St. Louis, Toronto, later on with the Reds. And I just love that stance he had. I just love the stance he had. And I, and you know, I, I looked at it. I looked at it. I'm looking at this, uh, looking at this, uh, people are saying, oh, one dimensional defense. No, the guy really had a solid bat. He had 2,000 hits. He had 300 plus one runs. He had 500 doubles. He had like four or five hundred RBI seasons. He had like, three or four 40 double seasons only had a season where he nearly hit the third 50 doubles. He was, he was a solid, he had a solid bat as a third baseman and oh yeah. Um, he stole 100 plus bases. The only, uh, there are the only players with us I can think of that have 300 home runs and 100 stolen bases are in the Hall of Fame too. George Brett, Wade Box. Well, Adrian Beltre is going to get in the Hall of Fame eventually. I mean, I mean, George Brett, Chipper Jones, Adrian Beltre, and then Scott Rowland. Those are the guys that I think I think of that have two thousand hits, three hundred home runs, and then one hundred plus stolen bases. That's right. And I think if you look at Scott Rowland, like respectfully, you think about greatest ever at their position. Like when you start stack ranking some of the third basemen, like obviously Alec brought up a few names of guys that are 
either in the Hall of Fame or a guy like Beltre who's going to be. Um, you know, you probably could put Scott Rowland in that top 10-ish range of the position of all time. And you think about, what, 100 and almost 50 years of Major League Baseball and being able to say that a guy was one of the 10 best to ever do it. Like, I get, I get your point, Kirk, about the fame piece, but not every Hall of Famer has a tremendous amount of fame associated with them. Um, but when I look at Scott Rowland, I'm saying relative to his position, he's probably in terms of guys that are eligible for the battle right now, like he is the absolute best at his position that is not in the Hall of Fame. And he's one of the 10 best ever at the position in terms of his total body of work. Yeah, that, that's kind of where I went with it. I had not been voting until this year until I broke down some of the stats, like you said, Jeff, and start looking at if you start to put together best third baseman of all time, it's hard to leave them out unless you count guys that played third base for a couple of years or that. And of course, uh, as Alec made great points about his defense. Uh, so, and, and I think third base is one of the most underrepresented positions uh, if you go through. So between those, I said, you know what? He was really good. He has, he accumulated a lot of stats. He hits like six or seven all-star appearances, which is another you know, all-star game is kind of a hokey because there's a vote and there's all this crap. But uh, over a career, if you take a guy like Bobby Abreu that made like one uh, versus a guy like Roland that made like seven, even though Abreu up and down has better numbers, uh, I tend to go to a guy like a uh, guy like Roland that was one of the best in this position and got those stats. And uh, and it's an unrepresented position. Yeah, Dave, I think I look at it, though, and there's positional value. Let me talk about Abreu as an outfielder. Like there's a lot more similarity with other guys at that position. Like you look at that position a little bit more offensively. Which is why he didn't make all-star games because there's already right. eight other guys, you know, in that league that are better than him. Where if you're talking about Scott Rowland being a six or seven-time all-star, you could talk about fan vote and everything else. But the reality is, is he was still getting those votes for a reason because he was viewed, you know, kind of across the board as unanimously one of the very best at his position where Abreu wasn't. And, you know, when you look at him, I compare Scott Rowland to like, He's maybe a small step above Ron Santa. Yeah. Good, good conference. Yeah, like that would be, that would be the comp. He's not Brooke Rob, Brooks Robinson level. You know, he's not Michael Jack Schmidt level, but probably Ron Santa level or slightly above. And just because the voters made a mistake in the past and kept Ron Santo out until he was dead because they were morons. Doesn't mean that Scott Rowland should have to wait 30, 40 years to get his call into the hall. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what are people not- about Todd Helton? Uh, Todd Helton, I actually, I can tell you this firsthand, I have been following this guy um, for the last few years, who's a big Helton guy for the Hall of Fame, and yeah, I said last year, <laughs> what? I think he was a big Walker guy, too. He, no, he was, he was more so, he was even bigger with Helton, he loved Walker, but he especially loved Helton, and he was like one of the main people that I like I even said on here that outside of like the main guys on here, if there's one other person other than the people associated with, you know, the controversies, it would probably be Todd Helton because of his high averages, his high slugging percentage and how it was comparable to people that are already in. I, I have an old picture of myself that compares to like, I think it was, I think it was like, you know, Cal Ripken, another comparison was, and I think another one was to, um, the numbers escape me. But I definitely knew that, you know, with the high average, as well as, you know, his numbers being also very comparable on the road to how it is in the course field. That was another reason, too. And I think, like, I recall, like, Joey Votto was very similar stats to him. And and it was, like, in a whole league company. I don't remember the exact post on top of my head, but I do know it was very, very high for Elton. 
Did you say Nelson's numbers uh, home and away that his numbers were almost similar? Because that's just fundamentally not true. Again, the, 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 the numbers are one of the best basemen of all time. Yeah. No, I'm trying. I'm just trying to make sure I clarified that I understood what Vinny was saying because we're using that as a premise. Let's make sure the premise is correct because the premise is flawed. If we're saying yeah, that that is an issue for me, and you were right. Like the, the picture is like you know in the back of my head. I I don't have it in front of me, but I do know that I remember last time I was very vague with Helton with the numbers in front of me. I don't have the numbers in front of me. That's a big reason why it was a little bit off. Yeah, and that's why similarity trying to understand scores are for batters. Jeff Bagwell. Edgar Martinez, Vlad Guerrero, uh, Orlando Cepeda, Larry Walker, Jim Rice, Frank Thomas, and a few French Hall of Famers like Fred McGriff. So, I mean, he's a, he's going to be in a lock in, in a couple years. I'll, well, I think that, that's, but that's, that's including the numbers that come from Coors Field at a time where balls were flying out of Coors Field, right? Fair to say, especially... Uh, yeah, but but I think you can still back out um, what it, I forget what it's called the the ballpark effect, just like ERA plus. They they have that for hitters, and you back it out, and he's he's. I would think he still is going to put put up close enough numbers where he's hall worthy. Well, I think if you look at his um, if you look at his away numbers, like we can look at his home and away numbers. At home, he hit 345. And on the road, he hit like 285 or 287. Um, his power differential is quite a bit noticeable in terms of home in a way. So to your point, I know there's a metric where you're talking about. It's like something plus plus where it factors all that in where you're trying to measure like hitters park versus um, pitchers park. But if you look at him, like how different would he be if he didn't play the majority of his career at Coors Field? But we don't know that. I mean, we, 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 we don't know. He played his or, entire career with the Rockies. Yeah. And one could also say. It's one of the stadiums. I mean, he, I, I'm the kind of person that knows that in the same way that I don't think it's fair to really, you know, praise someone just because they're from New York or whatever. In the same sense, he was drafted, but he was been with the Rockies his entire career. Like with me, it's like that's just the place where it is. Like I don't, I'm not really the one that really wants to punish someone because they played their career. I mean, people always talk about the hitting. Do people also need to understand that playing a mile high above sea level is also can tug a lot of damage to your lungs. It's also something that a little bit harder to breathe. It's also something that's, you know, a bit harder to like, you know, move around almost like, like in a higher altitude, we're going to say about playing, you know, it also takes a bit of a different toll on your body. So you can kind of go both ways. While it may help you in terms of hitting, at the same time, if it was really that much of an effect, how come the Rockies have never even won a division title, let alone a World Series? Listen to this real quick. One quick stat: OPS for Helton away, eight fifty-five. OPS for Scott Rowland, who we just talked about, eight fifty-five. So one played exactly. third base and one paid first base, though. And yeah, right, right, exactly. But like, there's but, a difference. But if you're breaking down just pure hitting, same difference. So, uh, look at the positional. The positional like I said earlier, he, he UCR, a total run save. He has, he's a top five when it comes to run save at first baseman. And he's probably one of the best first baseman of all time going by metrics. Um, 
and I know he only won uh um like I know gold like you said about what you said even though he won only three three gold gloves like what you said uh even though and he JT Snow of the San Francisco Giants who never wasn't really that good of a defender to begin with kept winning all those gold gloves even though Helton was clearly the better defender. JT Snow sounds like a player who should have been on the 86 Mets. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I have I have his achievements right here. Um, he was the on-base percentage leader in 2005 and 07. And he's also the only player in LB history to have 100 plus extra base hits in, ex, in, ex, in consecutive seasons. The only way, the only ones to do it twice in their careers were Lou Gehrig and Chuck Klein. All right. Uh, let's move on to another one because I'm not, we're not doing this for two hours. <laughs> or we probably are, but Andrew Jones. I love this guy. Uh, she's shooting right up. Uh, greatest, one of the greatest defenders of all time. Lee May said he's better than him. Uh, he could hit uh, from the Dutch from a Dutch colony because that matters I don't know I just find it, I just, I, I'm all about my geography I'm all about my history that out. <laughs> wasn't he like a 255 or 254 career hitter or something like that like that- I know I'm trying to wait like I know he was over 400 home runs or whatever yeah 254 I'm sorry I was waiting for it to come up so yeah, I was, to your point, one of the best defensive yeah. center fielders of all time, but at a less important position than let's say shortstop or second base or even first base catcher. Um, but he, he was, you know, pretty much a swing for the fences. I mean, they're going to hit a home run or I'm not doing much else kind of guy. Like if you look at the career numbers, like how do we, I would it? also say like this, there's people that are in that have great offense, but not that great defense. Why not the other way around? I'm not a fan of dimensional. And his offense is great. I'm not saying that he wasn't good at hitting. I'm just saying in general, yeah. you know, why not have guys that are more emphasis on the defensive side as opposed to just the offensive side? Because I feel like so many people just look at the silver, the, the bats, the bats, the bats, but I say, hey, don't forget the glove too. That's the other side of the game. I, I kind of went that way. I had been not voting for him until this year, and I finally just listened to some of the defensive arguments combined with he, you know, did have some silver sluggers, some really pound them, ground them out. Yep, swing for the fences. All or not. home runs in two thousand five. Yeah, that was. Uh, he had outstanding seasons. Uh, what always bothered me was the two fifty four batting average and just the complete tail off at age thirty, just where he just became almost not startable. Uh, and I've kind of come around to where I'm looking at, I- I'm willing to not take career guys that played 25 years and got all these cumulative stats, but rather look at a guy that was really good. I think for about five to six to seven years, he was one of the top outfield, top two or three outfielders in the National League hitting, and then the defense is a bonus. Uh, so I, he's at the very end of my list, but I, I had him slight in. I like what you bring up, though, Dave, about the fact of when you look at Andrew Jones, you're probably looking from like, 96 when I think he came up as a rookie. What was he like, 19 or 20, some young, young kid that debuted? Maybe if his birth certificate was accurate. <laughs> yeah, if. That's always a big if. Uh, but he, right. I know he came up on the tail end of that run, and that was the Braves team that lost to the Yankees in 96 in the series. Um, before you were even born, Vinny, my goodness, I'm an old man too. Um, <laughs> so I just tried to think through. But realistically, to your point, you really only have like 11-ish seasons, maybe from like, the tail end of 96 to 2006 or seven, if I, if I'm yeah. 
correctly, like, so you only have like a decade plus, and if you only have like that decade or slightly more, like, was he so spectacular at his position where the accumulation doesn't matter as much? Like, if Mike Billy Trump, Mays said he was a better close on that. than him, well, no, defensively. Yeah, def- defensively, you're right. He was. I'm just trying to think, like, if Mike Trout played a decade and then never played again, he's a no doubt about it first ballot Hall of Fame. Yeah. Everybody can agree Good point. with him. Because even if he didn't have all the accumulation, he was so spectacular at what he did in all facets, and maybe Mike Trout's a unique case. Um, but do we view Andrew Jones as somebody that was so spectacular in that decade that it makes him a Hall of Fame? That's why I was on the fence, and I'm I, 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 right there. I don't know. I don't know. You're gonna if you're so up. Uh, well, I don't think uh, batting average is the NLB all. And they'll be all uh, when it comes to when it comes to uh, and I always hate it when people bring up batting average. Um, like there's been so many great hitters throughout the year. If you don't think uh, if you don't if you think uh, Andrew Jones is a batting average bad, wait until you look at a 500 home run club member and Hall of Famer Harmon Killebrew's uh, batting average. You're gonna flip when you see that. <laughs> Yeah, but he also well, five hundred home runs. Yeah, he also had five hundred seventy something <laughs> home runs. So, so a little bit of a distinction there. He hit a key milestone in a much different era, um, much harder era too. Much, much yeah, yeah, much harder era. So I think like I just when I look at a guy like Andrew Jones, that's what I'm trying to balance out is how good was he really for that ten or eleven seasons? To your point about batting average, I agree it's not the be all end all. I also like the younger thought process and the analytics folks that always say on base percentage on base percentage that also depends on perspective i hate when somebody says well their on base percentage was great i'm sorry but if i've got a guy hitting three four or five in my damn lineup i don't want him walking i want a contact to damage ratio like you're going to drive in some damn runs you don't do that like frank thomas i remember used to for a lot of times like he'd take walks in key situations hall of famer yes but you know you, you should be driving home runs, not getting on so somebody else can drive you. Yeah, he was a decent base stealer. He had some 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases in seasons. Well, I'm talking about, though, is that when you're talking about, like, an Andrew Jones, if he was hitting in the middle of the lineup, I'm just saying if we were talking about batting average is not the be-all, end-all, I, I can agree with that. Like, it's a concern, but I don't want to see, like, an on-base percentage being popped up for other people saying, well, this is so great. No, it's not. If they are hitting in the middle of the lineup and they're walking all the time, it's kind of cowardly baseball. Anyways, not necessarily. I don't think it was cowardly. I mean, it's strategic, right? No, not necessarily. If you've got two guys on, um, either way, I think Dave, like I'm with you. Like he's not a guy that I pound the table for, but if I, if, if he got in within the 10 years, am I going to sit there and pitch a fit about it? No, because I, I could see the argument power hitter, so in an era where power hitting mattered, he had power and he was phenomenal with the glove. One of the best ever at his position. Like feels right. I think also too, we're now looking at defense a lot more strategically than we ever did before. Uh, so many great defensive players in the past got by on a reputation. Uh, arguably I'll, I'll say this, another hall of famer uh, just got in Jim Cott who had no business winning 17 gold gloves. Like, he didn't, especially in the last few years, like when he was only pitching like 60 innings. 
Like, come on. But it, was, then, but it was a representation of the fact that at one of the elements of his position for an extended period of time, he was. But I mean, well, like, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I guess I'm going on too much. But I, I get I get you with the whole point about like the gold gloves, like that can be tricky. And like I said about JT Snow snubbing all those gold gloves from Todd Heldon. Yeah, and uh, I, I think there's an eyeball test. We were able to see one. Andrew Jones. Yeah. We were able to see Andrew Jones play. Yeah. We could see that he was a premier player at his position defensively. Mm-hmm. We don't need a metric or anything else a gold glove to validate that. We saw that. We know that. We experienced it. So uh, just in the interest of time, so we'll move on to Gary Sheffield. Uh, I always liked this guy, but I think unlike – Andrew Jones, he's the victim of, he's got a journeyman resume going from team to team to team to team. He's like like Fred McGriff to me in, in many ways. Uh, he's got the numbers. Uh, he's also then like to your, your point too, uh, Jeff, uh, also a victim of his position somewhat uh, in terms of his offense. I mean, his offense was fantastic, but when you think of Gary Sheffield, if Gary Sheffield were to get into the Hall of Fame, how many teams would say, hey, where are, where are my hat? <laughs> you know, I, and I, I don't even know what team do you think of Gary Sheffield with? Uh, I, I usually think him Marlins. I would Marlins. go with the Marlins, personally. The Braves. Uh, because... Braves, I think of him with the Braves. Yankees. He falls victim to the fact that he started his career in Milwaukee. Then he worked his way out of Milwaukee. Then he was a couple of years in San Diego. Then he worked his way out of San Diego. Uh-huh. Then he was in Florida for a few years. He was part of that 97 team that Heisenga then. They blew up. They blew up. They sold him to the Dodgers. But basically what I'm saying is, is that I think sometimes with Sheffield, he falls a little bit of the victim of, of some of these smaller market, lower media profile teams that he was a part of for the first probably half of his career. Later on, probably got more love and attention when he was with the Dodgers and when he was with the Yankees. Yankees. I think certainly his all-star game appearances kind of validate that at least a little bit. Hall of Fame stance when it comes to his swing. Hall of Fame swing, I'll say that much. Always love his stance. Well, but I think like you look at Sheffield and you say he was a good power hitter, but at a time where you had all-time power hitters, he certainly wasn't that. He was a good average hitter, like a very good average hitter, but he wasn't necessarily elite at that. Another thing is that I know defense does not matter, but he was to the point where he was just so bad at defense. People were kind of writing him off, but he's one of the worst rated defensive players in uh, history. And, and I think when it comes and I think I know defense doesn't matter when you're such a good hitter, but it gets to, there's that point where, you're such, uh, especially when you're in a national league, because he was in the national, he was such a poor defender and he was playing for all these national league teams and he did not get the chance to be a designated hitter for most of his career. And I think that really hurt him. And I think even when you look at the 97 Marlins, I don't think you really think about Gary Sheffield. I don't think he was ever had a great reputation of performance in the play. Yeah. Then that's, I think the thing when with Sheffield, nothing stands out. Uh, Almost not, like the uh, offensive Mucina in some ways. Yeah. Uh, in a way, he, he is one. Uh, even There's, when you look at sort of the negative things, I mean, yeah, he had sort of the association with Bonds too, which doesn't do him any favors. But he's not even like, and he wasn't great with the press either. So he's not even the head asshole. 
Yeah. You know, and, and like didn't he get uh, like didn't he get like wasn't there a bleacher and when he was with the Brewers didn't he have like a a bench incident? Yeah, Chris, you were gonna say something about uh, Sheffield. Yeah, so obviously, you know, I grew up watching him. You know, he came up uh, 80, 88, 89 as a nineteen-year-old kid. He was kind of force-fed into the into the team as as a young kid. They didn't really have anybody playing top-notch at that time, and he kind of came in with the 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 teenage attitude that he was better than everybody and didn't really get a chance to prove it here. As, as Jeff said, you know, he kind of forced his way out of Milwaukee just to San Diego and then on to Florida where he had probably his, his most notable success with the world series there. But, you know, he, he was just seen as kind of like a troublemaker with the team to start with, didn't want to cooperate, didn't want to be a good teammate. And, you know, he did put up the numbers was associated with Bonds with with getting the clear and and the cream from from the same guys that Bonds was. So I think he's got just a lot of baggage that's really going to hold him back as far as votes go. You know, he does have a magic five hundred, but I think that's really all the only thing he can really hang his hat on. Yeah, and Chris, I was going to ask you since being you know from around that area and watch him at the beginning of his career in Milwaukee, and then obviously following him throughout his career, like. Sometimes to me, I don't know if I call it like a piss test or a smell test, but sometimes when you see like a Hall of Famer, you just know. You know what I mean? Like Randy Johnson, for example, needs to tell you he's a Hall of Famer. You just know. Um, That's just one example. Greg Maddox, I go on and on. But when you look at Gary Sheffield, like does he feel like he was that level of a Manny or even a Sosa, let alone a Bonds or somebody like that? Does he feel like he was a Hall of Fame player within his time? No, not at all. And I really wanted him to be one when he was uh, drafted. You know, a lot of excitement coming in. I still got a ball somewhere that uh, he could to me in the stands. So. Oh, no kidding. Wow. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, he, he, he compiled 500 home runs. And that's really the, the best way to put it with him. You know, he, he compiled numbers. He stuck around long enough to, to have a, a good career. But never, you know, really watching him did I think he would be a, a Hall of Famer in the end. Maybe you will. Maybe they'll, they'll soften on him. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll grant him his pass. But no, he never really stood out as as being one of the the guys you you kind of expected to be voted in at the end of the end of the career. You feel like he's underrated and a victim of circumstance in some cases. Be some of his own doing, but some of just like the team. Well, he you know he had kind of had that. I think he had that thing because you know I'm better than everybody because you know his his uh his uncle was a star at the time pitcher for the Mets, uh, Dwight Gooden. Heard and, of him. and I think that because he had that, he was connected, you know, he thought, oh, he had this kind of past that, you know, he was that, like, you had the respect, you had the liking because he was related to uh, someone who just had one of the best pitching seasons in recent history. Yeah, I just look at him and I would even say, like, just to be kind of here, but if he was doing steroids, he didn't even do them well. <laughs> numbers, I'm sorry, like, you know, at least you could say with Bonds and Sosa and Manny's and Ortiz's, you can look at, look at, you know, upticks and numbers or whatever, and you could say, Manny did that really well, but it's almost like, did he get, to your point, did he get like a second rate thing? Did he get second rate steroids? Because I don't think you saw his numbers tick up that much in like the second half of his career. Like as That's a- things became a bigger thing. Well, you yeah, get, you're right, he, Jeff. Like he, I've he also a, noticed that too. Like he had a I've season noticed where that. he hit 25 home runs and 22 stolen bases at 38 years old in 2007. 
Yeah, but we're not. I, I think with Sheffield, maybe just to put a bow on that too. I, I just want to see if people agree agree with me on this one. Unlike Ramirez, who or some of the other people that we've talked about, uh, Sosa, who like in these power hitter categories. Sheffield was that guy, if you're the GM or the fan base, it's like, okay, we got this guy, but you're always looking over your shoulder because you think you can upgrade. And you could. I mean, you could, but I, I would also say with Sheffield, I would say, yes, he was he kind of, he was, he was in his own circumstance. And I think also with Sheffield, because like, even though he may be lumped in a sense with, you know, the Bonds and the Clemens and whatever, it always feels like he's his own kind of guy almost. Like, like it's, it always feels like, you know, yeah, he may be linked with them potentially, but I kind of see people that are not as big with the steroids be a bit more leaning for him because of the lack of an uptick. Uh, I, I just kind of noticed that myself. Was he, ever really like un- un- was he ever really the unquestioned dude of any of the teams he was on? Because even when I go uh, back to those Marlins teams in 97, I think about Kevin Brown first. I know it's a different, you know, pitcher versus position yeah. player. But was he ever like the dude on any team? And like, does that? No, but just no. But at the same time, yes. Ninety-two Padres. He was. So we're going back to like when he was twenty-two years old. To your point. Uh, yeah, but he was. I mean, forty-eight. If that's the ninety-eight Padres, you mean? Ninety-two. Ninety-two Padres. I know he was the guy after Milwaukee. Oh. Three thirty. Three thirty average. Thirty-three home runs. He killed it. I'm a little higher on uh, Sheffield, but for sake of time, I think his, we'll he's one on. of those. But Tony Gwynn was the guy. I'm sorry to interrupt you guys, but I think he's someone who would have been benefited way better if he was a DH for most of his career. Yeah, but then then you work on that other problem because like DHs, how long did it take Edgar Martinez and Ortiz is a special player? But anyway, moving on. Uh, Jeff Kent. Uh, eh. Yeah. It's well, like other than Dan well, Shaughnessy, better second baseman out there. Other than there's like Dan Shaughnessy, who's really going to go pound the table for a guy like him and put him as the only put officers on their ballot? I mean, yeah, he's the most. Kind of, <laughs> yeah, that's the I, thing. My theory it, is that he gets so much helping support because he stood up to Bonds. I would say, Alec, that you know, you want to talk about character and whatnot. You know, it's not like Jeff Kent was exactly the warmest teddy bear teddy bear on the bed. I mean, yeah. it, it's like he was kind of a rough personality. And, you know, again, you know, the similar sense of shilling, he kind of is the more anti-LGBT kind of side. But I don't really care about that aspect. But it's really hard for me to really go with someone like a Jeff Kent when there's other people that are, you know, <laughs> Bonds is on the ballot. But he's I mean, another he's a guy. Giants fan. He's another guy what? who I know that there's I know like I said, he's another guy like Sheffield that played a position that was known for being uh, well reputated for defense and was just flat out horrible at it. Second baseman. Yeah. He also stole an MVP. He had no business winning. Yeah, that. Todd Helder should have won in two thousand. But all right, so I, uh, uh, I was, that's what I was going to try to say something, Jeff, about uh, Jeff Kent. Yeah, I was going to ask Kurt. You're a Giants fan, aren't you? Oh, I'm not. I just happen to, I just happen to have a shit ton of jerseys. I'm a Jays fan. Okay. Yeah, so Jays. I'm just trying to think here. Like, when you talk about Jeff Kent, I think he had a few all-star appearances. I know he won the one MVP, the disputed MVP, but MVP nonetheless. Like, it goes in his column at the end of the day. It's it just- does, but he's also – like, I'm not like Jeff Kent as a player. Uh, as a person, not as much, but I don't, I don't think – 
So maybe a disputed MVP. He's more known for being on Survivor than he is for anything on baseball. That's not a Hall of Fame guy to me. Yeah, if you look watch his numbers, like I think um, Alec brought up the point of like he was really bad defensively at a position that's more known for it. Mm-hmm. It's similar like to a Piazza, but Piazza was like a whole nother level is the perception of him as a hitter at his position, even though he wasn't worth anything defensively. I'm not sure that Jeff Kent was that level of hitter. And Jeff Kent, you could certainly argue like his absolute best peak years for the most part happened because he got a lot of protection from Barry Bonds in the lineup. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you, could then have- you had protection in Houston, protection above Bagwell and Biggio. All right. So capitalizer of circumstance. Okay. So yeah. now here's the one I, I, I'm vocal against because uh, I hate the guy, but Sir. not special to me at all. Billy Wagner. Sir William Wagner. What? <laughs> I'm saying that just to make you mad. I don't know what that means, but okay. Yeah. Your trash is Ted's treasure. Yeah. I, I'm not, you know what, though? I can make the argument all day long, but people either like them or they don't. And I hear the argument. I'll be honest, though, I'm getting a little tired and debating it. Um, I just want to hear the, I just want to hear the argument because I'm not saying. Honestly, second best relief pitcher of all time after Rivera. I mean, period. Accuracy. Uh, well, again, let me let me talk, Alex. <laughs> um, Floor is so, yours. All right. So the the issue against him is poor postseason. But again, you're looking at somebody with very minimal innings pitched. And so if if I go and do one thing, very small amount of times, and I don't do well at it, you're looked down upon. So your, your number you're in is too low um, to judge that. But I can see the argument against it where Rivera dominated in the postseason. That's the difference. And Rivera is by far the better player. But when you look at ERA plus, which takes into consideration your ERA and your ballpark that you pitched in, in comparison to the rest of the league at that time, Standard deviation number one is Rivera. Standard deviation in his own category is Wagner. And then it's everybody else in the history of baseball. Everybody else. Your favorite baseball pitcher is below those two guys. Um, And then, again, you can look at all the other numbers, saves and and whatnot. The guy also retired while he was – his ERA was like a one-point something in his last year. He – he was still producing, but he decided to go spend his time with his family. And, and I, I really think a lot of him because he didn't just kind of fade away. He, he just left while he was still at his peak. And think, I'll, I'll, I'll pile on to some of those. Yeah. So he's sixth all-time career saves, sixth. Yep. Nobody's going to come close to him in a while. Uh, that's more than Eckersley, Suter, Fingers, and Gossage. Uh, he has more, lower ERA than Different all those guys. A better K per nine than all those guys. Seven all-star game appearances, so he's right there with them. Uh, and so, yeah, postseason aside, I, I look at postseason in general as a, you can put cherries on top, but that's not going to make me go down. Like if there's somebody like a Shilling, you have his postseason, okay, I'll move him up a little bit. No, I'm not going to move the guy down. Um, and so if you're going to – I'm not a big relief pitcher in the Hall of Fame guy, actually. I think there's – it's probably getting a little – little. Leisure. you look at a guy like Lee Smith, 
and some of those guys, it's got, Wagner's got to be in. I think I think you bring up like as I'm trying to weigh it, like I think his strikeouts per nine innings was almost twelve. It was like eleven point eight or it's eleven point nine. It's the highest ever. Eleven point nine, so it's the highest ever. His WHIP, I believe, is under one point zero. Like yes, it is. Of even as a relief pitcher, it's just phenomenal. When you look at dominance from a sustained period of time, the seven-time All Stars kind of reflects that. Um, yeah, postseasons were boo boo, but to your point, Ted while they were total and complete boo-boo and we can't pretend, like how many appearances did he even have? Like you said, as a relief pitcher, you're getting a smaller sample size. Um, yeah, the 11 inning, 11.2 innings pitched. Yeah. Yeah. amount of appearances in the playoffs. Um, so it, it matters, but it, it probably only matters to if he had great numbers in the playoffs, we're not even having a debate or discussion. Duh, of course, Billy Wagner goes in. He's the second best reliever of all time behind Rivera. Well, okay, um, D- D- Dave, saw, you, you would have seen him play probably more than all of us put together. Did he feel like a Hall of Famer to you? He's definitely the best reliever in Astros history, and there's been some good ones. Uh, so I, I don't know what a, a reliever Hall of Fame looks like. I know what Rivera looks like. I think Hoffman's there because he was so good for so long. And then after that, I think, you know, you got the gossages and the fingers and those guys, because they would go two or three innings, uh, different era, different. They weren't trying to blow guys away for for 12 pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I, I, the, the stuff-wise, I I think if you're going to put in some of these dominant guys, I think he's there. From, a, from, from the era that we're talking about, the more modern closer, so probably, what, the past 30, 35 years. So all respects to a Quisenberry Vinny. Uh, <laughs> I just had to throw that in. Um, but yeah, to Colby, there you go. But if you look at the modern definition of the position over the past 30 years, like he's either second or third best, depending on how you stand with Hoffman. Rivera is clearly number one. And then you're saying all these guys, and I'd even say like there's a stronger case to make for Billy Wagner potentially because of the fact he was able to do it at such high level for such a long period of time. When you have the Eric Gagne's of the worlds and some of these other guys that are like a couple of your flash in the point pans, the Bobby Jenks of the worlds, et cetera, I could go on and on. And they flame out relatively quickly at that position. Israel. Level of attrition, a short period of time. Wagner was able to sustain, and to your point, Ted, like at age 38, his ERAs in the ones, and he had more in him and he left. Like he didn't stay and accumulate more stats, but he was still dominant at the end of his career, just as dominant as he ever was. Like that's to me the stuff I say. Not every reliever needs to go in, but this guy was special. Here's another one too. Um, with the Mets, also, you know, he tore his he he tore he got he had to get Tommy John. Um, he had Tommy John like you know at the end of the 2018, so he wasn't able to. So as a result, he wasn't able to pitch throughout you know the 2009 season, but. You know, he came back from it with the Braves where he got that all-star. So even then, even with the UCL, that could, even with the torn UCL, you can go one way or another. In this case, it still helped out, and he was still getting a one-ERA at this stage. Like, absolutely phenomenal. As someone who even saw him when I was younger, I mean, he just was a different kind of cat. And I also know the Mets beforehand had John Franco. But Billy Wagner, as much as I like John Franco himself, Wagner was very different in terms of how he was able to get the ball out of his hand and right to the, the catcher's glove. And even more and impressive then, when you realize that wasn't even his born. He wasn't even originally a right. He wasn't even originally a left-hander. He was originally a righty, but 
he had to start throwing left-handed because of it, uh, like a broke his arm, I think, at one time. And I think um, if you look you at know, him, one of the key number, one of the key stats, if we talk about longevity, Ted, Dave, this maybe helps kind of with this too. See, technically, because of the way his career fell, I think he was technically an all-star in three decades. Like at the he, tail of the 90s, the 2000s, and then even 2010. He was so, 99, 99, 01, 03, 05, 07, 08, 10. Yeah. Here's another reliever from around this. May I bring him up? I know we're talking about Wagner, but we have to bring him up because he's very similar to play around. He's on this ballot. Could sneak in the 5%, could be one and done. That is uh, Joe Nathan, who I think – who was up, probably up there with when it comes to relievers of the 2000s. Uh, he, Billy, the only relievers in that era with about 370-plus saves and a 151 ERA are him, Billy Wagner, Billy Wagner, Marion Rivera, and Joe Nathan. So, I mean, if we're bringing up Billy Wagner, why don't we bring up someone like Joe Nathan or uh, someone – debating next someone's gonna be up next year uh who has like who had a 62 save season i know if you're really into relievers if you really have that hard on for relievers i think francisco rodriguez will be your guy and i see many uh, your your, your I, I, I have a i have a hard on for relievers i have a really big hard on for relievers <laughs> Hey, listen, that's that, that's what that's what Alex said. I'm just using his terminology. I'm very big with relievers, personally. Uh, you were saying with Joe Nathan, myself, um, you, yourself. Nathan, I remember, you know, local Stony Brook. He was a Stony Brook guy. You know, he was from Texas. I know that he grew up in, like, you know, like lower upstate New York. But I also do know that, you know, his save percentage was was higher than others. Sorry, sorry if I'm, like, mixing up, like, what you were. It just kind of threw off my, my rhythm a little bit. But – I'd be down with Nathan. The, the only downside is that because it's just how big the ballot is and because there's no, there's only a 10 person limit. I can't have Nathan on my list, even though I really would want to have him. I can't put him on there. All right. So the hard on for Nathan's hot dog is done. <laughs> huh? Huh? Oh. <laughs> thank you. Oh, well played. Uh, thank you. That's why I'm the host. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Just uh, let's just uh, wrap things up here because we've got a lot of guys who I don't think are going to make it. So I just want to see feel a hail mary for any of the following guys that we haven't really discussed yet. Uh, well, Jimmy Rollins is looking like he's the only one besides Ortiz and A. Rod that's going to break that five. And where the hell did month. that come from with Rollins? I don't see it. Yeah, I don't either. I, I'm just trying to. Is it because he was clean and he had an MVP season and the position? Likeable guy. Yeah, likable guy. That's in not- a season where he had, tw- I'll give it in 2007, he had a season where he had 20 home runs, 20 doubles, and 20 triples, and 20 stolen bases. And I that's think just, that's he- one year. That was his MVP year, though. Yeah, I think it's one of those years where people were, where people are just so fixated, where you have that such a good of a year that it triumphs all the other years. When you think about those Phillies teams, you think about Chase Utley and Ryan Howard first in some particular. Yeah. Right, Holiday. My, my my roommate um just my, my roommate last year is from from philadelphia i can tell you right away he thinks of all those guys. i think he's ali and he thinks of rollins and he thinks of um howard he, he thinks of all three of them in any order um he thinks of he thinks of uh rollins a lot because he won his mvp season the year before they won their world series so they do think of jimmy rollins they do think of ryan howard they do think of chase Utley. they even think of bobby abreu as well 
Well, I'd rather have I'll Bobby for, a ten, for his peak 10 years than Jimmy Rollins. Because Rollins' peak mm-hmm. was awesome, and then he fell off a cliff. And then it was. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was the, Ryan Howard? He got killed by the injuries, even though he's breaking those young home run records. Yeah, I mean, like, these are guys that, I mean. Prince Fielder. What? Prince Fielder, too. Oh, geez, another I want to talk guy. Prince Fielder. I want to talk Prince Fielder. Prince Fielder had a 12-year career that was really, really outstanding. It was only 12 years. And it went off quickly, but he was top 10 MVP votes. Uh, I had it written down somewhere here. Like uh, he played 162 games four times. Um, he had six all-star games. This is in a 12-year career. A nine out of 12, he played 157 or more. Um, top, half his career, he finished in the top 20 in MVP. So you're talking about a league that he's finished in the top 20 in MVP, uh, at least half his career uh, there, there's some good numbers there. It's the contrarian to the cumulative, but I, I don't think he's going to get the five percent to get a to get a sniff and hang around and have people. I don't think he's it. received a ballot yet or vote yeah. yet. Uh, he has the same Come amount on. of home runs as his father Cecil did, three nineteen. Well, well, he, he was he was bashing forty five a year for like six or yeah. seven straight years. He was a fun player to watch when he was coming up too. You know, he, he good young guy. Him. One of the guys that. that Got baseball going again back in Milwaukee. And Chris, a back, yeah. Chris going back to the Prince Fielder and Ricky Weeks days. <laughs> Hardy, Corey Hart. Yeah. But I, I'm just sorry. I was going to say, like, it's a shame, yeah, to your point that Prince Fielder may not even get the 5% because he would probably deserve at least that. I'm just still – I'm perplexed at where this love for Jimmy Rollins comes from. And I, I, I know where it comes from. It comes from – it mostly comes from the MVP seasons. Like, it mostly comes from the MVP seasons as well as the numbers during that time. He had and one MVP more season. They don't care. They see the MVP season and they call it a day. And didn't even make an all-star. Then put in Jeff Penn. <laughs> yeah, well, that, yeah, that, that's the same. Thing. It's the same mentality. I'm saying they don't care. It's simple as that. They don't care. Yeah, I mean, he was a good, solid player, but I think Kirk, you brought up the thing, like, once he dropped off a cliff, it was pretty precipitous and fast. And even when you look at his peak numbers, like, they were cool, but he still wasn't a great hitter from a, like a contact and average standpoint for a guy that didn't have a ton of power. Rear 265 hitter. Yeah. I mean, it, it was well, like, it was pretty good defensively, but was he that great? Chris, you got that up. Uh, what was his career OVP? Uh, Cause I don't remember. Yeah, spot here. <laughs> no, I lost him. Um, here's another 324, 743. Yeah, that's another guy. Another guy who, another guy. Um, he, I saw you were not saying some nice things about him, but he's very similar to uh, Bill Hodges, who was just elected by the Golden Days Era Committee, uh, who was really good. I think he could have made the Hall of Fame if it wasn't for the shift and in injuries. That is Mark Teixeira. <laughs> I didn't about him. I just said I'm not, I'm not. I don't want to waste any time talking about someone who has no shot. The, there is. Uh, here's another. Here's one other uh, hail mary I'm going to throw for. Uh, you're talking about injuries and amazing careers. There is no one on this list that I think exemplifies that more than Tim Lincecum, by far. Mm-hmm. When it comes to Lincecum, when it came to his time, this guy was a two-time Cy Young Award winner, three-time strikeout winner. He also pitched two no-hitters, and he's the only one of two pitchers in the MLB history to win multiple World Series champions, multiple Cy Young Awards, and multiple, throw multiple no-hitters and multiple All-Star games. The only one that ever do that is Sandy Koufax. 
like even though it was a very short 10 year stretch and but during his time it could be argued that he was really one of the very best pitchers not just in the national league but in literally all of baseball and for years like yeah. what years i mean really if you look at the numbers it's four years and that was like yeah the two back-to-back Cy young seasons like lincecum was great for his star burned very very bright but it was also very short i'm sorry yeah. yes but at the same time injuries four years really well yeah right. like I, it's not about like the hey what you could have been if you didn't get injured it's the reality of what you were like it's unfortunate he could have been but he's not Yes, yes, but why not also congratulate and truly give him throws that he deserved when he was during that time as well? I, I know because, because, because he had four years that really count. That's not yeah. a, be a Hall of Famer. It's not a that, that's true. I, I'm not saying I would put him in on the ballot. I'm just saying I'm just throwing him. It's it called a Hail Mary for a reason. Another I'm really, really I want to bring up since I'm from Central Florida, he was one of the first and he was really good uh, in a time of power hitting he was a really good contact hitter with the uh then double rays he went to boston and then kind of sizzled out a bit with uh, the dodgers okay, that was uh carl crawford um <laughs> he was really brother. good with the rays double rays then he went to uh then then he kind of had then he went to boston it was okay not as good as level with uh tampa then he kind of gets injured and just fizzles out in los angeles and i think it's because no joke, he had association with the Kardashians. It's the Kardashians <laughs> curse. Oh, wait, that somebody, curse is a myth. Somebody save us. That okay, yeah. I, I know this is, I know I'm supposed to save her, but no, that curse is a myth. Reggie Bush was with a Kardashian when they won the Super Bowl. And the same year Lamar Odom won the won the NBA title with the with the ugly Kardashian. Sometimes it doesn't catch up to you immediately. It's I didn't say that it term. didn't. Work, I didn't say that it didn't work out badly after. <laughs> there's a peak that burned bright. Yes. Um, but Carl Crawford, really? Like, I mean, good player. He's on the ballot. Period. Move on. Well, I know he's, he's on, on, guys the on the ballot. No, you know, what I'm saying is that that is his recognition is that he made the ballot and period. And that's the end of it. Yeah. And to to Ted's point, let's celebrate all these guys who did make the ballot because it's not a given that just because you play a long time in years that you actually make the ballot. So all of these people, good players, were were very good players. Another one, another one, but uh, they weren't good enough. Not another one. No, no other ones. No, yeah. I'm not. I'm not giving another one. Don't worry. So who's gonna who's gonna get in? Does anybody get in? One, two, is Ortiz. Ortiz, and that's it. You think it's Ortiz? Is it this or what we think is going to happen? I think what Ortiz, we think is going to happen. I think Roland could could be the guy that just jumps right up. Not this year. The ballots we don't see next year. Maybe next think, year. Don't think it's next year. I, I, the way it's looking, it's probably not going to be this year. Like hell, Steve Marcus consider him, and he still decides to leave his ballot blank because Steve Marcus is being Steve Marcus. I would say what I think is going to happen. I think we're just going to have Ortiz and that's it. And it, it just turn off your notifications. It's going to be a very ugly day. That day. Yep. So we don't think Bonds or Clemens or both get no. in. That, I, that I want Jason them to get Sardell, in, but I don't think they are going to get in. I follow Damn. Jason Sardell and all the predictors who, who do all the analytics based yeah. on um, how much, uh, how many votes have been in. And this guy is the most accurate out of all these um, procrastinators or, or pro- predictors. Yeah, yeah. Easy for us. <laughs> but 
I think he's the best one of it. Um, and he's got Ortiz at 98% chance to get in. Bonds 0.002, Clemens 0.002, and Roland 0.0002. So, so it, one it, so the the accused steroid user that was the lesser player will get in over the two accused steroid players that were vastly better. That's yep, correct. I have no problem with this. That's baseball. <laughs> yeah, That's it, it, and you wonder nice. why people my generation don't really care for it as much. And then the key is gonna be. Because next year you've got um, Beltran coming on, and other than Beltran and really K Rod, who's fringe to talk about it at best, nobody else is really coming on. But you've got four guys coming off, so that's where you're going to see Rolling. Roland as Rolling. possibly. Elton being, will get a, I, I think Helton. Helton will boost, but next year Helton's not going to get in next year, so it might be Roland. Maybe Beltran, depending on what happens there, but probably not. Next year could be your shutout. Oh. So, so let's Again. see. Let's close with this. Well, then we got, but then you got the today's game committee. They're going to elect. Oh, yeah. But nobody. But most gonna people her. are going to rip that. Here's the ballot. Nobody got in. Yeah. Or maybe Roland gets in and nobody else. Were you going to say, Kirk? I was just going to say, uh, let's see out of the seven of us. Do we have a unanimous? Or um, who or should be in, or who is going to? Oh, get no, in. no, just if we if, if it just came down to the seven of us. Oh, like who would be in? Yeah, if we. Yeah, were, who, who do you want? And, and, and do the max. Yeah, if you want if you need to. Yeah, so if we were to all vote right now, if we had that power, which we don't and never will, because I'm never going to join the baseball writers and wait ten years for it. And I don't think for all of us, more except for. I you. don't think I don't think Satan himself would join the baseball writers. Oh. Satan himself might actually, actually, I think he might be running it. Uh, yeah, with the chair. Yeah. So I, I think, is, is is there somebody that we would unanimously put in on this? Um, hmm. Like I, 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 Ortiz, I think. Yeah. I think so, I'm out on, bon I told you I'm out on Bonson Clemens. So that's going to. Yeah, that's sort of why I'm just sort of like throwing Ortiz. Was right. anybody a no on Rowan? Like a no, no? He'd be in my 10. So he's in my he'd 10. My 10. Yeah. He'd need my 10. Um, I would say my 10. I would fundamentally have to concern if Bonds and Clemens aren't in, then I'll be the shit and says no on Ortiz because I just fundamentally have a problem with the left oh, sure. accused steroids guy getting in over the much better ones. I mean, I'm sorry. It's just the way. It right. But I mean, like, if we're, if we're just doing this as a unanimous thing, because like I'd be voting the same way you would, you would, Jeff. Yeah. I just want to see if we have a, a, like a, if anyone would be unanimous. Is Roland, is Roland the safe one? I'd say so. I think so. I think Roland safe is the safe one. Baggage free candidate. Or Helton. Uh, I'm down with Helton. He's in one of my town. Helton. Uh, I don't know if Helton's unanimous for me. <laughs> It would be one of your ten. Huh? Would it be one of your ten? I would honestly. I would need more convincing because I if the numbers. Well, so no, then yeah, flags. Yeah, like I look at Roland and I say he's one of the ten best ever in his position. To me, that's a key differentiator. I cannot say that about Ted Hill, Todd Hilton. I do yeah. think he's the greatest Colorado Rocky of all time. What that means, I don't know, because it's yeah. exactly. Like saying uh, the best Colorado Avalanche, just keeping it 
territory. But I was I was kind of borderline and Larry Walker too. It was kind of one of those things. Like if he got in, yeah, he was one of the most naturally gifted players I've seen in my lifetime. But the injuries kind of killed him. But I got it. Like okay, he he when in doubt, put him in. I'm sure Helton will get in at some point. Yeah. Just, like traditionally, mm-hmm. oh, I just can't oh, do it with Helton the same I could Rollins. Yeah. Because I, I think also too, uh, so Ted, because you, you were sending me stuff about strategic voting, because, and maybe that's yeah. something just to sort of close, maybe another thing to close off with, because I think on a, on a vote like that, I'd be voting for all, for Bonds Clemens, even though Schilling said not to, still him, just for that purpose, and I know Helton's going to stick around, and there are other people that you almost want to have, have a greater look at, and maybe that's where Rollins is getting a little bit of love. Yep. No. Uh, I, I like. I, I'm higher on Abreu than most. Me too. I like Abreu. I have someone that follows me that it's also very huge on Abreu. I mean, I, there's a lot of love for Mark Burley as well. Tim Hudson too. This is another guy. Tim Hudson. Tim Hudson's on my fringe. Yeah. Tim Hudson's the best out of the borderline pitchers on the ballot. The uh, the along with the the. Burleys and the Pettits. Um, I think Tom I take Pettits. I would but, too. But e- either way, Hudson's going to probably fall off. Unfortunately, where Pettit's going to stay on. And what Burley thinks going to barely hang on. Where's Tory Hunter? Tory Hunter. I'm, I'm shocked more people don't really talk about him. Considering I know that the Gold Gloves say what you will, but you know that could be something that people look at. I mean. He's not in like the top ten for me. I mean, not me either. He's like better Mike Cameron. <laughs> That's an insult to Tory Hunter. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't degrade Tory Hunter like that. I mean, you know, he's Tory. Hey, Hunter had some power. It's not a shot. I mean, no, it's not a shot. I'm just saying, like, if I'm trying to equate like what his career is. Like, I would think about Andrew Jones. I would rather have Andrew Jones over. Oh yeah, obviously, obviously, I would go with Andrew Jones over you know Tory Hunter. Like. But regardless of whether he had gold gloves or not, you also knew that Torrey Hunter was a premier player at his position. Like we saw it, we know it, we felt it, experienced it. Um, but he was also a franchise player there for a number of years in Minnesota. Like that's got to account for something at least. I just feels like another one of those pretty good players. Like power numbers are good, but not special. Average is okay, but not special. Um, defense is his claim to fame. Maybe if he stole more pieces, you could – say he accumulated more stats like it's one of those really good players but yeah i I, i'd be down for it just because i want to make people happy that's how i that's how i look at it i mean i know that may sound like i don't have any taste or standard but in reality quite the opposite because if i didn't have any standards then you know well he's not in my 10 in case you're curious like well, it's, a, it's less about taste or standards. It's more about like doing the right thing or make doing things that feel good. Don't really. Well, yeah, I, I wouldn't the right thing based way, off of the process. And, well, you know, yeah, he wouldn't be in my standards. 10. Like, I'm just saying I wouldn't mind and I wouldn't feel I wouldn't try to hurt anything down. I mean, I think way too many people just try to look at it at such a high level when in reality it's a business like anything else. I mean, that's how I personally look at it. But do I think it's ridiculous that Jimmy Rollins is potentially going to get like 30 to 50% of the vote and Tory Hunter might struggle to get 10 or 15? Yes. No, Rollins is going to be around 10, 15. You think no, so? way, no way Rollins is going to get 30%. I, I can't see that. I can't even see 20. I think the most I could see him is like maybe like 12. Yeah. But, 
That's the most one of those guys that do better with uh, private voters and public voters. Oh, I'm sure the scale scale voters are gonna like, uh, are gonna gonna like jump ship. Yeah, (laughs) that's actually a very good point. I don't think there's a lot of people you don't want to publicly admit that you're voting for Omar Vizquel right now at this point. Um, that's something you think to yourself. Again, so, so apologies for in the interest of time because I've got another award-winning show that I've got to win. Hey. So, which Hey, this is fun. Yeah. And if you want to see everybody. It's going to all be about Tears for Fears. Shout, how the hell did that go number one? I got to promote what I'm doing. So, hey, you got to do what you got to do. That's right. Indeed. Suck has got to pay some bills. Anywho, <laughs> not that it, this makes me a whole lot. It really doesn't. Anyway. Stay safe, everybody. Have a good one. Thank you all for being a part of this, and we'll do this again next year. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.